Welcome to the panel. I'm your host, Lovedell, and today's episode is titled Things I Wish I Knew Before I Started My Business. On today's panel, we have Junior Ogunyemi, who is a multi-award winning entrepreneur. We have Adrian Wiggins, who's the founder of Big Beat. And we have Richard Onitolo, who's the founder of Lyrically Inspired. Welcome to the panel. So tell me a, a bit more about yourselves. Let's start with you, Adrian. Just tell me a bit about your business journey. Okay, um, so I'm a mu- musician. Um, started drumming um, and eventually teaching uh, samba drumming and found that uh, I was quite good at it and set up my own uh, community samba group and started getting paid for what I did. I thought this is good. Um, eventually, um, started teaching in schools and then I was contacted one day by um, a corporate company asking if I'd come and do a, a workshop for them which I did and it went down really well and here I am now 18 years on. Oh, wow, amazing. Junior? Uh, so yeah I I grew up around entrepreneurs so I always knew a little bit about it um, but uh, I guess I was given some really good career advice which was find something you like doing and get someone to pay you for it so I thought, you know, I'm going to get paid to play Premiership football, and that didn't quite happen. So I thought the next best thing to playing football would be coaching football, and I got parents to pay me to coach their kids, and um, it, it sort of grew from there. That was my first business, age 16, 17, which is a football coaching academy. And then um, fast forward several years later, I grew it, um, started hiring many more coaches, started winning lots of different awards. Um, I used the entrepreneurial skills I learned there to set up other businesses that I was passionate about. And um, it's just been a wonderful journey, lots of ups and downs, but um, through it all, I've had lots of lessons. I ended up writing a book called How to Be a Student Entrepreneur to help other young people who wanted to go into entrepreneurship. Because um, literally for me, it helps pay my way throughout university. So it was an amazing thing to discover how to be an entrepreneur. Um, so fast forward about 10 years later, I'm still training other entrepreneurs now. And uh, I run a, uh, an academy called Entrepower Academy, where we empower the next wave of entrepreneurs to go out there and, and make it happen. Amazing. Richard? Yeah, I'm the owner of Lyrically Inspired Limited. Um, we supply promotional products to different companies around London, UK, and all over the world, basically. And um, I started my journey from my secondary school, even though my business, Lyrically Inspired, started 10, 12 years ago. So um, secondary school, my final year, um, even in secondary school, my maths was rubbish, you know. And final year, a friend of mine really kind of challenged me. You know when you have bullies <laughs> and you have people that will say, you can't do this, you can't do that. And I just took that upon myself to challenge myself on maths and to try and understand why I didn't like maths. But to cut a long story short, I kind of nicked it there. In my final year, I passed my maths based on the fact that I just needed to challenge myself for someone to not call me names based on my, you know, not knowing maths. And uh, people would ask me, where did the design come in? But I always say to people out there, you know, you never know what you got until you try. So I then tried design along the way, apart from the teaching that I did in maths as well. So I did the design and this this way, Lyrically Inspired, got me basically. Awesome. So for people that are interested in starting a business, um, how can they get funding? Or how can they fund their dream? How can they fund their business? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> now, I've always, even up till now, said to myself, I don't want to get alone. And it's not be- me being stubborn. It's just me thinking, 
I can get that money or survival money, like I call it, another way. I can fund my own self. Even if I need to clean, if I need to do anything to actually fund my passion, I will do it rather than start getting 10,000 loans, 100,000 loans. I meet a lot of people who say, hey, can you introduce me to investors? And no investor is going to invest in you if you've never invested in yourself. Like, if, if, you're, not, if you're too scared to put your own hard work money in, in, in there, why would they put their own money in it? It's, uh, so you've got to show that you actually believe in the idea. Yep. And part of showing that you believe in the idea is that you've scraped some money to the side, you've sold everything you have, and you've committed to that idea. Because it. it shows that you know, you're not just going to, if, if it starts to go south, you're not just going to walk away because of someone else's money. That yep. You're too committed in it. Yeah. So I think that's, there's, there's a huge part. But I think a lot of people use funding as a barrier, a, a mental barrier, because mm -hmm. um, to be honest, you, you don't need money to make money. You need clients to make money. Mm -hmm. And um, just you know, getting your first round of clients, how much yeah. does that actually cost you? Sometimes it could be as easy as going to a networking event. Um, but what, are people, what a lot of people do, they see the big dream, they see the houses, the cars, and the, you know, the whole office, and that's not where nobody starts. Nobody starts like that. Um, you just need your first round of clients, and that doesn't actually cost much money at all. Sometimes you don't even need a website. You don't need a business card. You just need to go out there and pitch your business to the right people, get their feedback, tweak it, pitch it again until they say, yep, do you know what, here you go, take the money. Let me see what you can do. Um, so I think money isn't as much of a barrier as people make it out to be. Adrian, with Big Beat, how did you fund Big Beat when you started that? I didn't. Didn't have, get any funding. Um, I think I just saw an opportunity to to expand it. Um, f so I was already teaching in schools. Uh, and this was before the internet. I mean, not before the internet, um, but it was before the internet was was really what it is now. Um, I I remember having a, a, an email address, that's all I had. And I thought the, the way forward for me to do my team building or deliver my drumming events were through event management companies. So I remember emailing without any website. I had I had done my own, I don't, I don't think I did a flyer actually. I just said, hi, um, I, I can run um, team building events through the medium of, of music uh, to 40 uh, event management companies and two of which went, oh, hey, send us some more details. Okay, don't have any details, but <laughs> yeah, you know, I can do this, I can do that. And um, one of them is still my, my client today. Um, so most of my work is uh, for their clients and it can be anything um, from a small um, to medium to large scale corporate uh, client. So we've worked, it's, it's worked, so no funding, I just fed it all back in. I mean, if, if someone genuinely does need funding, I would ask them, uh, I'd always ask them, do, is it, are, what are you using it for? Mm -hmm. That would determine the type of funding that you go for. For example, you could either use it as a cushion yeah. or a springboard. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I also used to say, you know, don't go for any loans. But now, if I know that the money is going to be used as a springboard, I don't mind using someone else's money for that because mm -hmm. I'm going to have to pay that back. But if you're using the money as you know, just a buffer, just in case the money you can fall back on and you've taken a loan for that, mm. remember, you still got to pay that back. Mm. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it, if you're, it determines what you're using the money for. That, that, what, that's what will determine um, you know, where you go get it from, whether you go for grants, mm. whether you go for family and friends. That's, if you're going to put the money towards a cushion, 
if you're going to be using it as a springboard to you know leverage for maybe marketing purposes or growing the team or or buying a product that's going to actually you know catapult your your market then then you can possibly go for loans maybe even go for investment and things like that um but but try not to go for investment too early because you will regret that decision if it's far too early um, and you want to be at a better bargaining position as well if you do go for investors so don't go for it when you're desperate basically so i guess when people are thinking about starting a business rather than just going straight for okay let me go and find some funding they need to kind of explore other options um like you say be a bit creative and think about how else can i actually get some money how can i use even if it's one client to pump back into my business even i mean think about what you're going to use the money for mm -hmm. you're going to use it for particular resources can you not just cut the middleman and just go straight to the resources yeah. when when i when i set up the uh, football coaching academy i had no money i was a teenager mm -hmm. but i had some friends who are qualified coaches so i said all right come and work for me for three months i can't afford to pay you but I'll pay you back once we start to generate money. Mm -hmm. I had another coach um, who had lots of equipment. I said, can I borrow your equipment on a Sunday morning just for a couple months afterwards? Once I make a bit of money, I'll pay you back. I want to buy my own equipment. They both said yes. So I had the kids there, the clients, had the equipment and I had the coaches. Mm -hmm. Voila, I started making money. And um, if I'd seen money as a barrier, then I would have said, oh, I, I can't afford to pay coaches. Mm -hmm. Well, I've got some friends, I can talk to them and I can come to some negotiations. I've got someone else, I could just borrow their equipment there for the meantime until I can actually start to fund myself and then paying back with interest, whatever it is. So you can find creative ways because at the end of the day, you're going to take that money, you're going to use it for something. Why not just go straight for that thing? You know, negotiate with that thing, talk to someone about that thing, even borrow that thing until you can make your money and then pay it all back. So there's, I think sometimes having too much money reduces your creativity. When, when you don't see when you don't have that luxury and that flexibility of having lots of funds available, you get very creative. And as an entrepreneur, you need to get creative. Some of my best marketing methods has come when I didn't have any more money left in the marketing budget. One of the things I would like to have known more about before I got into business was um, the art of, of following why, why you got into it mm. and keeping that going. You know, I'm starting to relearn that now. Because you get, you can get, um, gets lost. you can get lost with it, yeah, definitely. Especially if you're doing it for a long time. Yeah. yeah. So okay, so someone started up their business, they've got clients. How do you maintain clientele? Trust. I can't, I can't uh, underline that enough. Really, trust. Um, they've got to trust you. You got to trust them. You got to deliver um, the product. And. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Not like us, really, but is it? I think a lot of people forget, because you watch shows like, I don't know, like uh, Dragon's Den and Apprentice, and you think business is like this big transactional thing, and you just got to get the best deal and run away. <laughs> like, you're never going to see that person again. Um, you want to see that person again. Business isn't a transaction, it's a relationship. Yeah. And, um, you know, they say it's six times easier to sell to an existing client. So why would you not take advantage of that and actually, you know, just build a relationship with that person? It's not about, can I get your money and run away and, and give your products? If it was like that, then everyone can be sharky, but you, you, you have to build that trust. They have to know you, they have to like you, especially if you're in business for the long term. There's so much value in actually investing time, energy and resources to build that relationship with them. When you're building that relationship, look at it like you're selling to your friend. Mm. Even the person has come to you, called you as a stranger, look at it like this is your friend and they need help and you are a problem solver. And if they, you've solved their problem the first time, second time, and they're happy, there's a higher chance that they're going to come back to you next year, the year after. 
So when you now get to a situation where something has happened or something has gone wrong, the way you deal with it, if they're very happy with the way you dealt with it, no matter how stressed they were, they would always come back to you. Mm -hmm. Because in re any relationship, there's always good and bad. There's always ups and downs. And customers understand that. Mm -hmm. But if they see that you're the kind of person where something's gone wrong and you're putting the blame on the customer, you know, then you've lost that customer forever. And they will never refer other people because they know that they're going to be extra stressed and their friends are going to be extra stressed. So you're friends with them, you're friends with their friends, their friends, and it's a web. I also think it's important to um, be adaptable and nothing stays the same mm. as well because, you know, you think, ah, oh, everything's great, business is going well, and then all of a sudden something comes along and people don't want that. Yeah. You know, you only have to walk. I was walking around. I live in Crystal Palace. Walking around all the shops they got there, they got blue plaques saying what was on the shops before. I was looking at them, thinking, "Wow, there was a, uh, uh, I forgot what it's called now, a hat maker. They've been there for 40 years. You know, and when they were there for 40 years, they were probably thinking, this is great. You yeah. know, business fantastic. But <laughs> who goes to a, a hat making shop now? You know, yeah, don't don't get complacent. I think feedback is essential." And I know a lot of entrepreneurs are scared to ask for feedback because mm -hmm. it's going to be negative. Yeah. If it's negative, it's good for you because you know what to improve yeah. as opposed to doing the guesswork or, or annoying your clients because you never bother to ask for, you know, what is the biggest frustration about what we do? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, some of the feedback, everything we've done has been based off feedback. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think, oh, you're the genius that you, all the ideas come from you. No, I just, I'm just a reporter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just taking notes. I don't come up with these ideas, the clients come up with all these ideas in terms of how to change things, how to adapt things, how to improve things, how to stay on top of the competitors. I just take on board this feedback and I implement it. When they see that the feedback's been taken on board, they feel even more invested in your company. Because mm -hmm. it's like, oh yeah, now finally they're doing that thing that I love and you're filling that, that gap in their heart and, and all their needs. So yeah, I think taking on that feedback is, is essential. That, that is how you sort of stay relevant in their, in their minds. Otherwise, you know, before you're gone, yeah, you know, you're gone. I think all of you have run a business for many years now, like a specific business. How do you maintain a business over a number of years, considering all the changes that go on in society, especially now things are rapid, rapidly changing? How do you keep your business fresh? How do you keep it relevant? Um, how do you maintain a business? Good question. That's a very good question. <laughs> yeah. Hard one to answer. <laughs> like I said, you have to adapt. You have to come up with, well, in my my case, come up with new products, um, lots of ideas that are shelved mm. that I want to bring out, you know. Um, but then that's hard because you know what you're good at, and um, you know it's a bit like being, I'm a sh I'm a I'm good at being a striker. Do I know, do I want to yeah. become a holding midfielder? <laughs> it's, it's, I think yeah. it's also like you know you you have to be you have to have that heart and that mindset that I need to be consistently consistent. Yeah. I think one of the, the curses, it was a blessing and a curse that entrepreneurs are good at spotting new opportunities. Mm. But it's, it's, that's a blessing side of thing. But the problem is you've got that shiny object syndrome where you've always think the grass is greener or things are going well and you get bored and you're like, all right, let me set up a new business here. Okay. So having that, that focus and that patience and that consistent consistency to just keep going and keep going and keep going. Mm. I think so many entrepreneurs get so distracted now and it's easier to get distracted when things are actually going good because you put your feet up, you go on holiday a bit more, you, you know, you, you take your eye off the ball. And that's when you, you're not adaptable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you just have to have that heart to say, Do you know, what? I'm in this for the long haul. 
And um, even when things are going good, we want to keep it good. And, and realizing that you've never actually won the game because the race never ends. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh yeah, you know, we're, we're top because next year a new competitor or a new app might come and wipe out your whole industry. So keep your passion as well. Yeah, yeah, just keep that passion going. Um, While you do what you do, mm. I think that's the most important. That's what I've learned. And being in it so long is why I still do it. Yeah. It's like when you're bringing up a child, you know, so many things will go wrong. So many things will go right. You still bring up that child. You know, and you know that this child forever, I've got this child. So you've got to make it work, you know. So whichever way, when I look at my business, whether there's recession, whether there's, there's no recession, it's still going to have to work because it's embedded within me and my business has to survive. That's my child. So, and then that's how I make it happen. So how do you, how do you survive those kind of rough times? How do you survive... The times where you haven't got, I mean, I guess business can be seasonal, depending on the type of business you're running. How do you survive those kind of low seasons in business? I think there's two things. Uh, well, the first thing really, systems. Mm -hmm. You have systems in place. Once you've gone through the season once and the season twice and the season three times, you know the ups and downs. So you sort of prepare for it, whereas a newcomer might not realize what's about to hit them but you you are aware so you i think now there's probably every single fire that could have happened i've put it out so you know i've, I've been around the block a few times in, in that particular business so i know what could go wrong mm -hmm. and i know how to mitigate for it and i know how to cover it so that that helps and that just comes from experience mm -hmm. um, but when something does go wrong i create a system to solve that problem mm -hmm. i don't try to depend on my own willpower or my own brain because what if I'm not there what someone else needs to run it because mm -hmm. um, if I'm sick then the business is sick if I'm on holiday the business is on holiday so now I try to develop systems and put managers in place and start to delegate more things so the business isn't so dependent on me mm -hmm. it's more dependent on the system that I created and that's what just keeps things going over and over and over again so yeah it's, a, it's that experience of knowing the seasons yeah. and preparing for it and once you do know that stuff build systems in place so you get the ideal outcome every single time, mm -hmm. whether you're there or whether you're not there. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. How do you, because you just mentioned something, um, how do you know when it's the right time to actually bring in more people to your team when you're no longer um, able to run a business just by yourself? It gets to a stage where you know you're exhausted. Mm -hmm. And that point, you just know, even sometimes you can predict, oh, if I get 100 customers, if I get 1,000 customers, if I, get, I, I might not be able to do this. It's a fine line between working on the business and working in the yeah, business. Yeah. What's know. the difference between the two? Well, working in the business is um, you're, doing, yeah. you're doing the job. Working on the business is when you're keeping the, the work coming in. And if you don't work on the business, and you know we took, mentioned it earlier on about resting on your laurels, um, which is what I did a few years ago. I had a good client didn't think I needed to go and get any other clients because they were bringing me lots of work and all of a sudden they just they just stopped and it was just like what's happened you know nothing had happened they just decided to go different direction that's why I, I learned a good lesson there nothing's nothing lasts forever I'd managed to put in a system before and worked on creating um, avenues to get in more clients unfortunately um, that, that that kicked in. I like to use the example of like imagine you had a, a, a glass cup mm -hmm. and working in the business would be filling up that cup 
So, you know, you filled up the cup and everyone's like, oh, we're at capacity, we're growing, we're growing, we're growing. You're not growing, you're just filling up capacity, really. Yeah. You haven't grown. Working on the business will be getting a bigger cup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so build it or who's the one building the bigger cup? Because that's when you can now fill more capacity and so on and so forth. If you're the person filling up the cup, filling up capacity, mm-hmm. who's growing, a, who's getting a bigger jar? Because eventually you're going to overflow and that's when you start to do the burnout and stuff like that. Yeah. What people don't realise is that... You, us as human beings, as, as skilled as we are, as great as we are, you could be, I don't care how amazing you are, you're a limited resource. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you, you've only got 24 hours a day. You've only got a certain amount of time, only got a certain amount of skills, only got a certain amount of attention. Um, you've only got a certain amount of energy. So all of this stuff is going to eventually conflict with how you want to grow your business. So that's why you have to be, you have to remove yourself from being the person that feels it, get the team in, leverage their time and their skills and just keep growing and growing. So you're the person that's getting the bigger jars and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, so it's not even really about how skilled you are. Sometimes you have to delegate because you're the only skilled person. God forbid, what if you got hit by a bus? Yeah. So no one in your team could do that skilled activity because it's, it's so dependent on you. So. Uh, now what I've learned, and that's a very hard thing to learn, because as an entrepreneur, I probably I think there is a little bit of an ego about it. That you know what, look what look what I've created. Mm. Uh, let's be honest. And um, so I, I love doing sales calls. I love it. I train people with sales calls. I love doing sales calls with passion. It's like, yeah, look at the sales call. We landed that big client, and I realised that shouldn't be worth celebrating. They should be doing the sales calls, and they should be celebrating. If you're still the best salesperson, then that means they're dependent on you. They're going to keep coming back to you. Uh, I, I even need to hire people who are better salespeople than me because how, how else is the business going to grow beyond me? Or I need to train everybody else to at least achieve the same sales conversions as I can get. Mm-hmm. Not everyone will do things as perfect as you because at the end of the day, it's not their yeah. business. They don't have the same passion about it. But you still have to allow them that, and give them that grace to make mistakes, learn mm-hmm. and take it on. And if they can't, you replace them, but so on and so forth. The whole point is that you're not always hands-on because the business can't grow with, with you involved. Well, I, I think there's a, f- a fine line between whether you're a product business or a service mm. business mm. as well. And yeah. a, a, you know, yeah, take yeah. for instance, like a driving instructor. Yeah. You know, only they can earn yeah, their money. Exactly. Somebody else, unless unless you create a school yeah. of driving instructors. Um, you know, you can get lots of people to make your t-shirts for you, can't you? Mm. you know? Sorry. You can you can get lots of people to make your T-shirts. It's not all always about you. Yeah, it's not just about having you. to turn out twenty thousand yeah. a week. And it, it depends on the vision as well. Where you actually want to take yeah. things. Some people don't actually want to grow beyond yeah. themselves because, like I said, it might be a lifestyle business. They're enjoying mm. doing this. Mm. I mean, effectively, if you delegate everything, you're you're basically redundant. But the problem, though, um, I need to pose to you entrepreneurs here is, how do you now level it where you've got people on your team? And they might just leave you tomorrow. And you've been together for like five years. And you know that they can just leave you tomorrow. I, all of them can just quit. Yeah. So that's the problem we all face. And um, we need to I face think it's, it. It's, it's not so much of a problem. It's more of a, a fear or, or reservation that people have. Because it's, it's true. That, that can happen. It's valid, I guess. Put it this way. I, I see it because I've had that issue um, where I've trained people made them really, really good, invested so much time and energy in training them, and then they, they're gone. They've either gone and set up a competitive company or they've gone to work with a competitor or they've gone off to do something else. I'm like, people like, oh, Junior, you know, you, why would you spend all that time and energy training people if these people can leave? But the way I see it is, why would I spend all that, try and, 
why would I not train them and employ them? That would be more scary, you know, if I have people that aren't skilled there. So I'd rather train you, knowing for what that you might leave, as opposed to have you here and you're not competent enough. Um, that's that will be more destructive to the company, I think, to keep somebody on there that's not competent. So it's 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 part of the parcel. Obviously, you could put like contract employment laws and stuff like that in place, but um, I think the same way you keep customers, you keep employees as well. The trust, the relationship. So how do you then? Okay, what are the things that you would say you need to look out for when selecting someone to join your team? Trust. Yeah, I, I have three things. Uh, they have to be competent, obviously, they have to do a job. I know lots of people employ their, you know, their, their best friend or their boyfriend or something like that. I'm like, is he actually good at doing the task? So you have to be competent. Um, the character is also another thing. I can train you on how to do the activity, but I cannot train your character. That's your parents' responsibility. They should have done that job. So you're competent, your character, and uh, the chemistry. They have to fit within the, the company culture. Um, and I have like different organizations, and I did have different cultures within there as well so some people who are really good they won't fit in the culture of the other organization because it's probably a bit more corporate here where it's a bit more relaxed so you they have to have a personality where you can get on with the rest of the team so i look, always look at the, the the competence the character and then the chemistry if someone hasn't got all three i'm like sorry your cv is great you're a great individual but you don't fit in with the chemistry or, you know, we get so much good chemistry, but you, you're not actually good at the job. So I, if they don't fit all three, I, I don't take them on board. I've had people who are mentor businesses owners that are mentor. And one of them will call me with a situation like junior. One of my employees has stolen something from the till. What should I do? And I'll be like, fire him straight away. And then someone else will call me with the exact same problem. Say, junior, one of my um, employees have stolen something from the till. What should I do? I'm like, talk to them figure out why they did it, what was, what's their issue. And the only reason I'll give you know, two different pieces of advice for the same situation is because I know the company's culture and their values. Mm -hmm. These people, it's all about you know, honesty and, and integrity and yeah. someone's broken that, that's one of your high values, deal with it. Yeah. Whereas these people, it's all about you know, uh, family and you wouldn't just fire a family member, mm -hmm. you'd, you'd help them. It's all about you know, you know, supporting their staff. Mm -hmm. So because they have a different culture, I'll give different advice. Mm -hmm. Um, for the exact same situation, so you, you want to encourage that culture that, that you, I um, mean, you think about all the companies with the best sort of culture that you can just sort of describe, everything they do is in line with and is congruent to that culture. So it is even how you treat your employees and, and who you take on board as an employee. Yeah. So I guess for people that are starting out new businesses, they have to think about what are the values they want to have in their business, what's the culture they want to create, and then make sure everyone falls in line with that specific thing. Awesome. We're going to have a question from someone in the audience. With everything going digital now in the world, uh, what does the future look like for starting your own business? And is going digital a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's an, it's an exciting thing. <laughs> um, it, the bad side is that everything is going digital, so there's a lot more noise. Um, so I think the only people who win really are the, the, the companies that are on that side of, in terms of marketing and pushing things and um, it's not just with digital advertising it's with how consumers use your products and things like that which means certain industries are um, literally being wiped out or, or shrinking because for example Toys R Us kids don't play with toys anymore they watch other kids play with toys on YouTube <laughs> um, so it's the, the, the way we engage with life and things is is really shifting and shaping 
So, um, but with all bad things, there's always opportunities as well. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just about adapting. Yeah. It's, there's no point trying to fight it. There's just no point trying to fight it. You just have to adapt. Um, uh, if you want to keep up and you want to stay in business, you have to have a digital element. Um, it used to be, you know, back in the day, you have to have a website. That was just the only digital tool you have. Now you have to have uh, Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Why? Because people's shopping habits change. People don't just go through personal recommendation. They go look, see what other strangers have said about you online. They go look at how many followers you have to see how credible you are um, and, and what is out there about you on Twitter before they make their buying decision. So um, it's inevitable. Um, so it's an exciting opportunity, but I think people have to be ready for it and you can't just bury your head in the sand and say oh i'm not digitally savvy i'm not going to do anything online you you have to have an online presence you have to understand that your consumers are digitally savvy if, even if you're not so you just have to adapt i used to have shop in um, hackney and then i had shop in west end and in my beginning stages in my business it was more a bit of like a pride ego thing like oh i run a business now i've got to have a front shop you know when social media came up and I still had the shop, I'm thinking, why am I paying all this money and I don't know if customers are going to come into my shop? And I just decided to just get a workshop that is like the running cost really low and I'm still making profits and I can go online and just promote, like I said in the beginning, one pound, two pounds per day or whatever, you know? So it keeps running costs really low. And for us business people, like what you guys have said already, you can actually know your customers better by that footprint. They're all there. From what I'm seeing, a lot of businesses try to do everything. They feel maybe that to bring in more customers, they need to kind of expand and just add some random bells and whistles to their business to try and reach more clients. So what would you say about that? Do you think um, people should have a focus, key area? Completely, completely. I, when I'm doing mentoring, I refuse to work with anybody if you haven't identified who your target audience is. If you tell me your target audience is everybody, that means nothing. Um, it's like, you know, you wouldn't go on a date and, and the person asks you, oh, do you love me? You say, oh, yeah, I love everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it just wouldn't work like that. Um, you, but if you say, no, I love people specifically like you who have your qualities, that's how your client feels mm. when you have a niche. If you are too broad, because, and the reason people are broad is because they're scared that, oh, you know, the client's going to walk away, they're gonna, I'm going to lose them. So good, lose them. It's better, it's better that way that you have a niche that you focus and you because you will attract more people who are serious as opposed to just people who are interested and everybody wants to work with the specialist. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody wants to work with a specialist. And if you if you don't present yourself as specialist, you say you're you're just general, then they will go to the specialist. Mm -hmm. And that's who you're you're competing you're creating more competition for yourself if you don't have a niche. I remember when I um because I've got like business mentors myself and there was one one, I, was, I was having a cup of coffee with one of my business mentors and I said, listen, I'm working this idea, this idea, this idea, but I can't decide which one is going to be the million pound idea. Mm -hmm. And he said, it's not actually about which idea is the million pound idea, it's about are you a million pound person? Because any idea you touch will turn into a million pounds, but you have to be that million pound person. Yeah. So, but we're always looking for which idea has the most potential. Mm -hmm. Any, It's just like any seed that you look after, you nurture it, you water it, you give it the right sunlight, it will grow. Regardless of, of whatever the circumstances, it will grow. If you're not looking after it because you have too many seeds that you're planting, of course it's not going to grow. Mm -hmm. I think that's the essence of actually being in business. You just touched on it, is working on yourself. Mm, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, yeah, that's more that's more important than anything else. Yeah, personal. You know, yeah, you got to work on yourself. It's huge. You're, you're the, you're the, the engine of the business. Yeah. yeah, working on the business is secondary. Yeah, everything True. else secondary. You got to work on yourself. So to close us out, I know time has gone really fast. Um, what are your top three tips on business? I'm going to start with you, Richard. Your top three. I know that you're probably going to have a lot of tips, but what are your top three tips on business? Okay, the first one. I'm I'm going to kind of um, slightly longer, right? Um, I've got a strategy that I use, um, it's called DFE, so it's desire, faith and action, DFA, yeah? So basically what that means is, if you're going into any business, think of it like you have, a, you have to have a burning desire, in the, even if it's a, a little desire, don't, don't talk, talk about burning, a little desire for what you want to do, what you're about to do, regardless of the business, then you have to have faith that this is going to work. <laughs> Even though you're going to fail sometimes, but this is going to work. It's got to be a passion, yeah? And then put things into action. Even if you don't have the money, just play around with it, toy with it, yeah? It might not earn you money in the first time, you know? When you've put into action, see what you've, how you've gone wrong, how you've gone right, then come back to the desire again, burn it up. So the burning desire, that's where things start building up. When you have that burning desire, then it, there's more chances that when you put the action into place, it's going to work more for you. The second one, I would say, you know, um, just be valuable. Be a problem solver and be valuable within your niche. You know, so obviously create things that would make customers want to come back. You know, so whatever passion you've got, just know that you just got to build up your value. And um, the final one is um, also learn about a lot of great people, what they've gone through as well, so that you're not always reinventing the wheel. Look at their failure, look at their successes, read books and YouTube in the back of your, whatever you're working on, always play the YouTube videos, and especially those people that are, that are in your kind of business that you're gonna set up, read up on them. Junior. Um, so, validate your idea. Don't just run with the idea because it's your idea, validate it, test it. Um, sim, quite simply, if you can get 10 people to buy it, you're probably onto something. If you can reach the VAT threshold, you're definitely onto something. Mm -hmm. All right, so validate your idea. That's a way of testing. Um, second thing is build your skills. Build your skills. Never stop developing your skills because you know you are the engine of the business. At the end of the day, everything will rise and fall on leadership and your skills, your ability. So um, the more skills you have, the more problems you can solve. So definitely build your skills. Um, read books, go to seminars, do whatever you can, invest in yourself. And that's the smartest thing you can do, not just buy you know, business cards and things, invest in yourself. And finally, um, off the back of that, get a mentor. Definitely get a mentor. It's very easy to make mistakes in business. It's very easy to get carried away. We've all been there, we've all done that. Um, but you can learn 50, 60 years worth of mistakes just by having a mentor. Um, you can save yourself thousands and thousands of pounds just by having a mentor. Thank you. Adrian? Um, top three. I think uh, work on your why. Keep that close to you all the way through. Why you got into it. Why you still doing it. Um, why, why, why. Uh, and I think everyone will, um, will follow that. Uh, work on yourself. That's really important. Following up what you're saying. Keep reading. 
listening to podcasts and listening to uh, the people that have done it before. Uh, and trust. I think if people trust you, they'll follow you. You know, If you trust yourself, and if you look in the mirror and say, I'm doing a good job here, I think people will, will, will believe in that. Um, that's worked for me. If people trust you and you trust yourself, then you, you're doing something right. Amazing. Thank you. A great panel. Thank you for... Okay, tell us where we can find out more about you and your businesses, Adrian. So um, you can look at my company called Big Beat, uh, www.bigbeat.biz, uh, Twitter at BoomTubes, uh, Instagram is um, Big Beat Group. Um, there are others, but <laughs> I think that's enough for now. Thanks, Junior. Um, you can go to my website. It's just my name, www.juniorogunyemi.com. Um, you can also get a copy of my books there. Uh, I've got two books as out. One is How to Be a Student Entrepreneur, and the other one is Young Fed Up Professionals. It's all about strategies to get out of the rat race. Uh, and if anyone's interested in, ter in terms of learning more about business, they can check out our company, which is entrepower.co.uk. Amazing. And Richard? Okay, I've got um, two Instagram accounts for Lyrically Inspired. So there's the blog um, account page, um, Lyrically Inspired Team. And then there's um, the one where you can see all the products like this T-shirt here and all the cost some of the customized items as well, which is Lyrically Inspired Products. Okay, so the first one is the blog one, Lyrically, Lyrically Inspired Team. And the second one is Lyrically Inspired Products. And then the website site is www.lyricallyinspired.com. Awesome. I hope you enjoyed the episode of Arts The Panel. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe and I'll see you soon.